turn with me, please, to the passage that we read together, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, and I draw your attention to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, you're all very familiar, I'm sure, with uh, this portion of the Scriptures, the Sermon on the Mount, and also particularly of uh, these uh, Beatitudes, those um, uh, statements of Christ regarding those who are the children of God. And uh, it is, um, at one level, a description of who a true believer is and also a standard that is set for them um, and a goal to be uh, uh, sought after and uh, something of an assessment of their state. And so, in this case... Um, uh, the uh, description is that of a pure-hearted man or woman. The uh, standard is purity of heart. The uh, goal would be um, seeing God, and the assessment would be that these are the blessed people. We can say when we look at the uh, Beatitudes and um, uh, indeed, the Sermon on the Mount in particular, uh, that uh, they present to us a progressive uh, teaching of the Savior about the nature of our relationship with God himself. And that is what we have mostly um, uh, in these early verses and then our relationship to men in general and to the world at large. So we're going to be looking this evening at this uh, matter of heart purity. And, of course, we have to explain what heart purity is. It's important that we appreciate and understand what is meant by the Savior here. Now, when we come to the Scriptures, you will find that uh, it refers to the heart as the seat of the emotions, the seat of the will and of the actions and the desires. Um, uh, our natures, um, in other words, in every area um, of our lives. The heart, we might say, is the real us. What we see outwardly, what, um, uh, what men and women observe of us outwardly may or may not be the real us. Uh, Christ could speak of the um, hypocrites, the Pharisees. They were like a lovely whited sepulchre. And yet, in, inwardly, they were full of dead men's bones. And that is a possibility for men and women. Here, Christ is setting forth what God's people should be. And he is laying before us that which we should strive after. This heart purity, he reminds us um, uh, in uh, Mark chapter 7, that out of the heart, um, uh, uh, of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornication, murders, thefts, uh, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these things, things come from, a a from within and defile a man. And he is reminding us what the scriptures has uh, driven home to us in Jeremiah. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That is man by nature. That is man as he is alienated from God and in opposition to God. 
And so Christ, as he lays before um, his people what they are to be, he says their heart is to be a pure heart. It is to be um, uh, uh, characterized by that heart purity. You see, Jesus is focusing again and again in the Sermon on the Mount upon the inner disposition of men and not simply upon their external behavior. So that when it comes to um, uh, prayer, uh, he talks about how we should pray. And he compares the true saint of God going into his closet, closing the door and speaking to God in secret with the proud Pharisee that stands on the street corner and demands an audience for his wonderful prayers. He speaks about almsgiving. And he speaks about um, uh, how we are to give in such a way that our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. He speaks of fasting as not being a mere ritual that is to characterize us, but is to be that which is a fast, if you will, of the heart, a rending of the heart, a humbling of our heart, a broken and a contrite spirit. And so um, uh, man, we would say, looks, indeed Jesus says, man looks on the outward heart, uh, on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. You might say um, uh, an illustration of that is as Jesus sits by the temple watching the people throwing in their offerings to the Lord. Uh, the disciples were seeing rich men, wealthy men coming and throwing in great amounts and uh, along comes this widow with her two mites. And Christ's assessment is the polar opposite of man's assessment. She gave more because she gave her all than all of these rich people had poured into the collection. Even at a worldly level, worldly men know that the inner state of man um, it determines the value of our outward act. You've heard the phrase cupboard love. You know that there are those um, uh, who uh, show affection to someone because they want to profit from them. They want money from them. You know what it's like um, if you are a reader of... Um, uh, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Dickens. Uriah Heap. Perhaps you've heard of Uriah Heep. He was the so humble man. He loved to uh, protest his humility. Um, I'm not worthy. I'm so humble. But he was proud and arrogant and boastful. And that is the, dis the description of what we are by nature. And Jesus is saying, you're to be different. You're to be uh, completely different from this man. When you do an outward act, it is to be characterized with a, 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 an inward um, a reality that matches the outward act that you are performing. And so heart purity is something that involves motives. It is when we get down to the motives that we discover what we really are. Uh, when we get down to the motives, um, uh, we see whether... We have a pure heart or a heart that is desperately wicked um, uh, and cannot be, um, uh, 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 as it were, 
understood. Jesus says that heart purity is not to be adulterated by anything. It's to be pure. It's to be not hypocritical, but sincere. It's to be more than just sincerity. Because someone can be sincerely wrong. It is to be sincerity that, uh, as it were, uh, is as God has required it. It is to be sincerity according to the revelation of God. And so it is, if we want to put it bluntly, heart purity is a Christ-like heart. Heart purity is to have the heart of Christ. You remember how Paul puts it in, in one of his epistles, we have the mind of Christ. Isn't that a staggering statement? Well, it's no more than to say we are to have the kind of heart that Christ has. And uh, all of this that is said by Jesus presupposes something. It presupposes that there has been a radical purification of our heart. There is no worldly man or woman who can have a pure heart. This requires that God's grace has been at work. A heart which is by nature deceitful and desperately wicked cannot have heart purity. The pure in heart have had a change. What change? They have been purified by the blood of Christ. They have been washed, as, as it were, in the blood of Christ. Our motives, our, outward, our inward motives and our outward actions in a previous condition centered around self. Heart purity suggests, indeed requires, that our heart motives and our outward actions center upon God and upon his, his Son. We are called to have purity in motives and in habits and in our ethical life and in our practical service to the Lord. And this is called a pure heart. The psalmist speaks of this pure heartedness in Psalm 24. Who is the man that shall ascend into the hill of God? Who shall stand in his holy place? The man who has clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. This is not new teaching. This is merely the uh, repetition of what Christ has revealed in the word from the beginning of time. That pure heartedness. Now we have to face a problem here, don't we? Because which of us would want to say we are pure in heart? You see, the standard that Jesus sets is an absolute standard. He doesn't say, blessed are those who really are trying their best to be pure in heart. He doesn't say, if you just work at it and keep striving away, uh, you'll eventually reach a position of being pure in heart. We know from personal experience and we know from the word of God that heart purity eludes us day by day. Uh, uh, as we've said at other times, the good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. Now, would you say Paul was pure in heart? 
Well, the answer is yes. And as a believer, can you say, I am pure in heart? Well, the answer is yes. Because purity of heart depends upon the justifying righteousness of Jesus Christ and not your effort and your purity. It depends on his righteousness and his purity. And so we have that dual uh, um, idea in the scriptures. In the letter, uh, the first letter of John, he says, um, he that is born of God sinneth not. There's the absolute. But if any man sin, we have an, an advocate with the Father. And that should uh, help us to understand that this is an absolute standard. We must not seek to diminish it. We must not seek anything in this life less than purity of heart. But in our failures, we are not to see a failure of Christ's purity of heart. We are to come pleading the righteousness of Christ in the midst of all our failures. And so even in our miserable performance of purity in heart, we can say, by the grace of God through Jesus Christ, I am pure in heart. And so the disciples can be pure in heart, as it were, by virtue of the imputed righteousness of Christ. And there is our encouragement here. This absolute standard, it taken just by itself, would terrify us and frighten us off. Who then can be saved? All those who trust to Christ alone for their salvation. So blessed are the pure in heart. This is the purification that is being referred to. All those who are clothed with the righteousness of Christ, not all those who have reached a standard, but all those who have had that standard imputed to them, that of the perfect heart purity of the Savior. Well, how can I know if I've got that heart purity? If that is what heart purity is, how can I know if I've got that heart purity? Well, before I even proceed to consider some of these things, because remember Jesus is addressing believers here, the very first thing is that we are believers. There is none with heart purity before God who has not been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It is simply an impossibility. And so we must appreciate that we can only even ask the question, how can I know if I've got heart purity, if we're trusting to Christ alone for our salvation? And assuming that, and that's where I'm going from here, assuming that heart purity, how can I know if I have it? I can look at, I can examine myself. I can ask myself, am I in Christ Am I trusting in Christ? How do I know if I'm trusting in Christ? Well, I will give wholehearted service to God. That's one of the first evidences. You cannot serve God and mammon. Christ demands our all. There can be no sharing of our loyalties. Do we succeed in always giving our all to Christ? No. 
But that's not the issue. What is our desire? What is our determination? What do we strive for? With my flesh, I serve the law. But with my spirit, I serve God. And that's the reality of it. In this conflict, there is that overriding motivation in all that we do, that we seek to serve the Savior. We seek to give our all to the Savior at all times. We are not to be content with mere formalism. It is easy to go through the motions that from a distance and to the human eye look like heart purity. It's possible to have a righteousness. But Jesus in that last verse we read uh, says that unless your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, this wholehearted devotion is um, uh, something that speaks of a unified desire to serve God, not a divided heart. It is not halting between two opinions heart. It is serving the Lord with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. So it is to be characterized by this desire for wholehearted service to God, but something else, and this is so intimately connected with it. Those who are pure in heart long for heart purity. They may be pure in heart because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to them, but they want their lives to conform to Christ-likeness. They want their lives to be as pure as uh, in heart as is possible. They want the inward man to reflect the outward behavior. They don't want simply to do good works. They want to do good works as to the Lord. And so they desire clean thoughts as well as clean actions because they know that God sees the heart. They want to glorify God and enjoy him forever because they know that this is the chief end of man. Again, those who are pure in heart hate all sin. Now the trouble is that we know that so often we love our sins and we know we shouldn't. But remember the caveats I've already mentioned. We are dependent upon the righteousness of Christ for this standing before God in heart purity. But we will hate anything that gets between ourselves and God. There are times when we forget that. There are times when we almost deal indifferently with our sin. But whenever the Spirit stirs us up and we think in that um, sensible and that biblical way, we wish we had no sin. We hate sin. We know that sin is what separates between ourselves and our God. And we don't want that separation to occur. We know that sin leads to backsliding and we've been there and we don't want to go back and we don't want to spend those terrible days of, uh, as it were, trying to claw out of a backslidden state. We want to stay in close 
communion with God. And so we hate sin because God hates sin. You see, we want to be like Christ. And for that reason, we will seek to cast out sin out of our lives. We will strive to put off the old man. We will strive to mortify the deeds of the flesh. We will strive to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the works of the flesh. We will have that absolute goal to follow um, the spirit, to have the fruit of the spirit, and to destroy all the works of the flesh because we know that is the will of God for us. And that is what we are in Christ. And so we desire to be like him. We want to be holy because Christ is holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. And so this heart purity, how do I know if I have it? Well, I will be wholehearted in my service, my devotion to God. I will long for that heart purity. A great desire for it. I will hate sin. And I'll want to be as holy as God is holy. But what must I do to maintain it? Because I've hinted that there are those times when it's as though it dribbles through our fingers. We may have times of precious communion and closeness with the Lord. We walk daily with him we enjoy meditating upon him we receive from him boundless blessings and we are made conscious of his nearness and then somehow or other we seem to fritter it away and it is as though it had never been and we find a numbing coldness creeping into our being and we find our heart tolerating sins that ought not to be tolerated in a pure heart. And we see our pursuit of holiness um, um, uh, uh, waning and diminishing. What do we need to do to stop that? Or to put it another way, how can we maintain heart holiness or heart purity rather? Because heart purity needs maintenance. Now, you know what happens if you've got a trusty machine, a car or a lawnmower or something like that, and you just run it and run it and run it and you never put fresh oil in it, you never maintain it, it will break down. And it will be worse at the end if you haven't sought to maintain it. Heart purity needs to be maintained. God gives us this wonderful gift. He gives us the grace to pursue holiness in the fear of the Lord. Well, we have to appreciate what causes it to be diminished. Well, neglect of heart purity causes it to be diminished. And when we neglect to pursue heart purity, the joy of salvation goes. When we lose the joy of salvation, we are less inclined to communion with God. And when we lose that communion with God, we are less aware of the blessings of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the blessings of God in providence. We become worldly 
like-minded or worldly-heartedness. We're going back to type. We're reverting to type, you see, when we neglect heart purity. How do we then pursue heart purity? Well, just let me give you one or two things. We are to pursue those things that promote heart purity. Notice Timothy to uh, Tim, uh, Paul to Timothy. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with all the, with them that call upon the name of uh, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do you see it? Do you want to maintain heart purity? Then follow righteousness. And that means the righteousness of Christ and not simply our own pursuit of righteousness. Be much thinking about the Savior's righteousness and what he has done for our poor sin-sick souls. Exercise faith. Believe against all odds that God is for you and not against you. Follow love. Follow peace with them. Notice, with them that call in the name of the Lord. One of the evidences of the lack of maintenance of heart purity is neglect of the fellowship of the saints. Not, um, uh, as it were, gathering ourselves together. Do you want an Old Testament example of heart purity? They that love the Lord spake often one to another. That is what we are to seek. That is what we are to pursue. And so with Paul, he says this. And then again in Philippians 4 and verses um, 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on those thing, these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You see, the Bible doesn't just say, here's the standard, strive for it. It says, here's the standard and here's the maintenance book for striving for it. We're given instruction. Isn't it a wonderful thing? Um, when you come to the end of uh, the, the last chapters of most of Paul's epistles, he doesn't just say, be holy, don't do this, don't do that. But he says, let him that sin, sin uh, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. You see, that's why um, uh, we are to speak the truth in love. We're not to lie. We're not to be filled um, uh, with um, the world's spirit, we are to be filled with the Spirit of God. We are to pursue those things in the Word of God that tell us what Christ-likeness or what fosters Christ-likeness in our lives. And so we are to per pursue those things that promote heart purity. And how is that done? It is done by making frequent use of the word and of the means. We are told in um, chapter 15, verse 3 of John's gospel, 
that it is the word that purifies the heart. You see, you cannot have heart purity separate from um, and divorced from the word of God. And so we must be in the word. We must be frequently in the word. We must be daily in the word. Seeking God's direction as to be Christ-like, as to have a pure heart. And we should be careful about um, uh, the sacraments and uh, prayer and the reading of the scriptures. These will all foster heart purity. We are to seek fellowship with the pure in heart. We are to seek out and fellowship with God's people. We are becoming more and more isolated, atomized as a church. We need to again uh, recover that desire and that willingness to come together in the things of God. You remember how Paul says evil communications corrupt good manners. Don't be surprised if you keep the wrong company and you practice the wrong things if heart purity begins to diminish. <coughs> Seek the right company. Do the right things. And you will uh, be walking in the way of the maintenance of heart purity. And remember this, that heart purity is necessary for seeing God. We are reminded, follow peace and holiness, which is basically heart purity, for without which, without which no man shall see the Lord. This isn't an optional maintenance schedule. This is necessary maintenance. If we want to see the Lord, then we must maintain heart holiness by the grace of God. And so we seek um, uh, that heart purity that is not only patterned upon the heart purity of Christ, but actually is founded upon the heart purity of Christ. That is our ultimate claim before God. Why? we should enjoy the blessings of heart purity. Well, it sounds as though the maintenance of heart purity is a hard thing. Well, it is. As any true-hearted Christian here knows, it's not an easy thing to pursue holiness in the fear of the Lord. It's not an easy thing to be pure in heart um, or, or seek to maintain that. It's not an easy thing to meditate and think about Christ in this way. But why bother about it? Because of what the rest of the verse says. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's what makes it all worthwhile. They shall see God. The pure in heart will see God. Isn't that what... Uh, Psalm 16 speaks about in that purest light of thine we clearly light shall see. Isn't that our desire? Do we not want to behold the Lamb in the midst of the throne? 
Why is it worth it? Because of what is held out to us. How is he seen? Well, he will be seen in the person of his son. We are told that the day is coming, Christ is returning, and when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a wonderful prospect. Does that not make it worthwhile? The hardships of this life, the difficulties of maintenance, they pale into insignificance when Christ's appearance and Christ's transforming appearance, as we have seen, is what is at the end. We shall see God. We will see God by his, what we might call, accoutrements. We've just had um, a coronation. And you saw all the accoutrements of royalty, didn't you? You saw these magnificent coaches. You saw um, the, 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 the great multitudes of uh, soldiers on, on horseback. You saw all the, uh, the orb and the scepter and all of these things. Dear friends, we will see God because his glory will radiate from the, from the throne of God. We shall see God. Again, <clears throat> um, uh, we will see him by his radiance. Now there's a big debate, isn't there? Will, will we actually see God? Um, well, um, my own view is that we will see him in the face of Jesus Christ. The God who caused the light to shine out of darkness had shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. At the moment we have this treasure in earthen vessels. And it pains us that in those earthen vessels there are all sorts of filth and faithlessnesses and everything that mars that vision. But it will be gone. And we will see him as he is. By faith we can see him. But it's like through a glass darkly. It's only a temporary um, a blurring of the image. Because the day is coming when we will see him face to face. That future sight will be a fuller and clearer revelation of his being. It will be a revelation in the face of the glorified Christ. We will have an increased and increasing understanding of the glory of God, of who God is and what he is like. We'll never understand God, but knowing some of God is not not knowing God, because what we know will be true, even although we cannot comprehend and grasp so much more of God. We know what happens when God in his mercy shows us a little more of Christ in this world or a little more of the Father's mercy or a little more of the Spirit's work. We know that our hearts burn within us. We know the sense of um, a great, we think is a great revelation Dear friends, the half has not been told. And you will see God. If you are trusting to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, if your heart purity 
is his heart purity. And that's your argument before the throne. Not look what I've done. Look at the standard I've attained. But Lord, look at Christ. His hands were clean. His heart was pure. He never lifted up his soul to vanity. Nor swore deceitfully. When he comes. We will be transformed. Paul speaks about that great day. The trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Oh dear, what what blessings must be in store for those who have heart purity. We will see God. That is the great hope of the Christian. To see God in the face of Jesus Christ. How should we respond to this absolute demand and this terrifying standard Well, we should be amazed that God has extended such a privilege to sinful men and women. These are not the best of the best who are going to see God. These are not the highest of the highest saints who shall see God. It is all who are in Christ shall see God. This is a universal blessing to the children of God. And so we should be amazed at this privilege. But we should look to God to make us pure in heart. This is God's work. But we have a responsibility. Lord, make me, said one of his saints, as holy as a sinful man can be holy. That's what we need. That kind of attitude where God will work in us and transform us. We should be sustained by the promise that we will see him. That those who are pure in heart with that single-mindedness towards God will see him. And that the pursuit of holiness is not a waste of time. Blessed are the pure in heart. For they shall see God. Let us pray. (coughs) Father, we pray that thou wilt give to us what our heart of hearts desire. That we would be pure in heart. Enable us to maintain the graces that thou hast given us. And not fritter them away. Refresh and restore those um, uh, faded graces, as it were, that we have allowed uh, to ourselves to neglect. Give us grace to maintain that purity of heart, all the while not looking uh, to our own advancement or our own progress, but looking to Christ and his perfect heart purity. O Lord, have mercy then upon us. We thank thee for the gift of faith that enables us to behold God in the face of Christ now. But Lord, we pray for that day to dawn when we will see Christ as he is and thereby fulfill that 
word that he said to his disciples, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Continue then with us, Lord, have mercy upon us, and pardon our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, let us conclude singing from Psalm 63, and we'll sing verses 1 to 5. Psalm 63, verses 1 to 5. Lord, thee, my God, I'll early seek. My soul doth thirst for thee. My flesh longs in a dry parched land wherein no waters be, that I thy power may behold and brightness of thy face, as I have seen thee heretofore within thy holy place. And we'll sing on to the end of the verse mark 5. stand for the benediction. <clears throat> the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. <clears throat>